people, this business of unanswered prayer has really troubled a lot of people over the years. And what we usually mean by unanswered prayer is that we didn't get what we want. We didn't get what we want, so we say, well, that's an unanswered prayer. But that doesn't mean God didn't answer. You, you see, there's a sense in which you could actually say God answers always answers prayer. Yes, no, or wait. I love the way one preacher several years ago put it. I wish I had this written down, and maybe I'll type it up and send, get it on the Facebook thing. But it says, if, you re, if, if the request is wrong, God says no. If the timing is wrong, God says slow. If you are wrong, God says grow. But if the request is right and the timing is right, and you are right, God says, go. So yeah, I thought that, that sums it up pretty good right there. In, in other words, you could say that our prayers can be denied, our prayers can be delayed or deterred or delivered, and it all depends upon the petition or the period or the person. And, and so we, we could talk a lot about that, and we're going to just leave it there. But to simplify things, I'm just going to give you a list tonight of ten things that uh, that causes what we would call unanswered prayer. But but I want you to just stop, and we've, we've done this two or three times before during this series, and I want you to imagine if God just sent out a, an announcement saying, uh, as of, you know, tonight at midnight, I've decided I'm not going to answer any more prayers. I'm going to deny every request. You're on your own. Sink or swim. You know, do the best that you can without me. Uh, well, uh, oh, I don't know if anything could be more horrible than that, because we can't get along without God's help, without the answer to prayer. But in reality, a lot of people put themselves in exactly that situation. They get themselves there to where they can pray and pray and pray all they want to pray. And it's not going to do any good. They're not going to get what they want. And there's a reason for it. And we need to think about these reasons. So let me give you ten reasons. Number one, number one, unscriptural request. First John 5 and verse 14. Unscriptural request, First John five fourteen, and this is the confidence that we have in Him that if we ask anything according to His will, that's the key. According to His will, He heareth us. I've been amazed over the years at people that prayed for things that clearly contradicted what. The Bible teaches, and folks, we don't have any right to expect God to give us what we ask for whenever it's contradictory to what He says in His Word. I, I, I've had young couples come to me and, you know, uh, uh, maybe the girls say, you know, I prayed and prayed and I uh, asked God uh, uh, about getting married to this guy. You know, and, and, and I'm just convinced that God has answered my prayer. This is the man of my dreams, and, and I'm convinced now God's given me a peace. That's the way they usually put it. God's given me a peace that this is what He wants for my life, and we're going to get married. 
And, you, you know, you take the Bible and those verses that has to do with separation and being unequally yoked together and what have you, and, and it's like they go brain dead. They just don't get it because they are so intent on getting what they want that they make unscriptural requests. And that's just one example. We can think of, a, no doubt, a lot of different things and times that maybe that, that you and I have prayed, Lord, would you do this or would you do that? And it's something that's contradictory to what the Bible teaches. So if we expect God to answer our prayers then we're going to have to study the Bible and be familiar enough with God's Word that we know what God wants, that we know what God's will is, we, uh, or our prayers are going to be ineffective. Regardless of how sincere we might be, if our request conflicts with what God wants, it's going to go unanswered. Now, of course, there's an exception to that. The exception is, is when God gives us what we request as a means of chastisement. In other words, we ask God for something that's contradictory to what His Word says, and we just insist, you know, that that, that we get it. And God finally says, okay, I'm going to give it to you. Uh, that, that's what happened to Israel, wasn't it? They said, we want a king. We, we want to be like all of the other nations. We don't, we don't like the way this setup is. We, we got a better idea, and so give us a king. And so God said, okay, here. And, and boy, did you notice that God, whenever he picked Saul uh, to be the king, he chose what man would call the cream of the crop. This dude stood head and shoulders above everybody else. I mean, he had all of the qualifications. There was no reason for him to fail, speaking from the human standpoint, and he was a miserable failure. But then, of course, whenever God's man came on the scene, there was no earthly explanation why he ought to be a success. And he was this scrawny little shepherd boy. I mean, good night. I, uh, this, this kid didn't, didn't stand a chance, humanly speaking. And so God chose the foolish things of this world to confound the wise. So there is that exception that if you just nag and persist, it just might be that in order to correct you, God will say... You know, okay, I'm going to give you what you want. Uh, kind of like the story about the kid that I've told a jillion times and you're getting tired of hearing, you know, and he wanted a wasp and his daddy let him have it. And so, you know, he got stung. Well, that's the way God is. Sometimes we have to get stung before we realize that we're in the wrong. The second thing is useless words. Matthew chapter 6 and verse number 7 Useless words, and here's what it says, use not vain repetitions. Now, if this wasn't important, God would not have mentioned it. And, and, and if it's in the Bible, it's important. But we need to understand what he means by vain repetitions. And I've talked about this a, a time or two before just briefly. This does not prohibit us from praying repeatedly about a matter, because as I read a few weeks ago, I think it was, Jesus did exactly that there in the garden. He went and he prayed again. In fact, he prayed exactly the same thing. So although he repeated himself, it was not vain repetition. When he talks about vain repetition, he's talking about the multiplying of words that do not add meaning 
to what we're saying. And uh, it, 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 it's, it's the same thing, basically, as what chanting is to the heathen. And, they, you know, the, the different heathen religions, they're big on chanting. You know, and we can be guilty of that. And by the way, we can even, we can even use some really good words in our prayers. And as we're praying, you know, it's every other word we can, you know, interject. Uh, I'm trying to do this without embarrassing people because I, I think sometimes fellows, all of us are, Guilty of that, you know, uh, even using the Lord's name, you know, as we're praying and just, you know, we can't think of anything to say, so it's a space filler is what it is. And so we just interject the Lord's name in there over and over and over and over, and it doesn't add anything to the meaning, but the verbiage, the verbiage can be, uh, of, you know, of a lot of different kinds. But whenever we pray, we need to know what we're saying and why we're saying it, and the words ought to have meaning. It's kind of like the fellow, you know, that was writing the book. He's going to publish this book, and he he needed an advance. Uh, he was, you know, getting hard up on money and what have you, so he wired the publisher and said, well, how much advance will you pay for my latest novel of 50,000 uh, 50, words? And uh, they sent him back a... Uh, a letter saying, well, you know, it said, how important are the words? How important are the words? And, you know, it's a good way to look at our prayers when we pray. How important are the words? Are we just talking or, or are we really putting our feelings and our desires, you know, in, into, in, into words that uh, express what we really need? Lemon Strauss, who used to be one of my very favorite writers, he said, and of course he's just surmising how God might feel, and he said, it must be a frustrated experience for God to listen to millions of prayers that say nothing, ask for nothing, and expect nothing. Well, you know, I don't know how it feels for God to listen to all of those prayers, and I know God knows we're just human and we don't do anything uh, you know, perfectly, I, I understand that. But it really makes a, a good point that when we're addressing the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords and, and we, we say nothing, ask for nothing, expect nothing, we're just praying because, oh, we ought to pray. And so we pray, but we're using useless words. And we can't expect God to, to grant our request whenever we're just spouting out a bunch of useless words. Number three... Unnecessary things. James 4, verse number 3. Unnecessary things. He says, ye ask and receive not. Now he's going to tell us why. Because ye ask amiss that ye may consume it upon your lust. You know, I'm just, I'm just totally convinced that we're all more selfish than what we'd like to admit. I really believe we are. And I don't mean to fling out accusations against you, but I know what human nature is, and I know how selfish we can be. And, you know, we all fight this thing of, of, of trying to be content in the world. And, boy, that's a big struggle. And, and, and the, older, the older I get, and I think about uh, wastefulness, 
in the world today, how easy it is to waste things, and uh, especially when you've got all of these children that are uh, being displaced and, and literally starving to death, and we waste so much in the world today. And I think back when I was a boy and Mom and Dad had gone through the Great Depression, of course, and I, I'm telling you what, Mom didn't waste anything. We, she cooked it. We ate it. We, if it wasn't gone, it was back on the table the next morning and stayed there until it was all gone. So it was, you know, eventually you was going to eat it in one form or another. If it ended up being in the stew some way, you was going to eat it. Now, nowadays, we prosper so much, boy, we waste so much. And, and the thing about it is, and here's the thing, I, I often think about that and I'll maybe, you know, say something to bed. Well, yeah, let's eat this or let's see if we don't want to waste it and what have you. And then I'll walk over there in the office and look on my desk and, and it's become a, it's become a common thing now. Everybody asks, uh, have you seen all the grandpa's pens? <laughs> if there's anything I don't need, folks, I, I don't need any more pens. I've got pens, boxes of pens, uh, and, and pocket knives. And I love pocket knives, you know, but I don't need any more pocket knives. I don't need any more pens. Now, I'm saying all that to say this. We can disguise it any way we want, but if we're not careful, we can be selfish and not even recognize it. And the same thing's true even whenever we are, uh, even whenever we're praying and we'll ask God to do things and and, and and our main desire in all of it is is to get something like he says here that you can consume it upon your lust. Maybe you remember the man over there in Luke chapter number twelve and verse thirteen here who comes to Jesus with this request. He says, "Master, speak to my brother." It's always somebody else's fault. Speak to my brother that he divide the inheritance with me. Well, okay, how's the Lord going to deal with that? Well, listen to his response. Take heed and beware of covetousness, for a man's life consisteth not in the abundance of the things which he possesseth. And so the Lord knew what was at the heart of the request. The Lord knew that this man had a covetous spirit. He wasn't satisfied with what he had. He wanted more. And I'm telling you, whenever we ask God for unnecessary things, uh, we can't really expect God to respond in a positive way and say, Oh, well, you know, yeah, you want it, you name it, and you can claim it. If you want it, you can have it. God doesn't work that way, not, not if, if just for the sake of satisfying our lust. Number, number four, unsatisfactory motives. John chapter number 14 and verse number 13. And whatsoever you shall ask in my name, that will I do. Boy, that is a wonderful statement. And a lot of preachers would stop right there and say, okay, there it is. Name it and claim it. Whatever you ask in his name, God said he would do it. But wait, the verse doesn't end there. He says that the Father may be glorified in the Son. You see, God is very much concerned about our motives, why we do what we do. Not just how we do it, but why we do it. And if our, if our prayer is only to gratify self, God's 
not going to be impressed. Our prayer is going to be hindered. If that's all I want is to gratify self rather than to glorify God. But if, if I'm praying in a way that God will give me something or enable me to do something that He might in the end be glorified, then I have a right to expect God to answer that prayer because God cares about motive. And, you know, a lot of times you can do the right thing the, uh, the, the wrong way, and uh, it looks good on the outside and impresses others, but it doesn't impress God because He knows the motive. For example, here's a woman that has an unsaved husband, and so she's praying that her husband might be saved. Well, we say, of course, she ought to do that. He needs to be saved. She ought to pray that he will be saved. That, uh, what, what's wrong with that? Well, not anything's wrong with that, uh, but that's not the, always the whole story. Sometimes what she really means, and God knows what she means, is, Lord, I want a better, different husband. I want a husband that will treat me right and do right. In other words, the only, the only concern for her might be that, that his salvation will result in making life easier for her. And so the prayer in reality is all about her. It's nothing about the glory of God. It's not, dear God, you know, pray, uh, you know, I pray that you'll save my husband. Uh, And, you know, if you don't, he's going to die and go to hell. And, Lord, I know it seems impossible. Nobody would believe it. But, Lord, I'm praying that you will glorify yourself, that others through his salvation might see the greatness of your grace and that they, too, might turn to you for salvation. Salvation, and and so there's a big difference whenever our motives are wrong. And maybe the prime example is there in Matthew chapter 20 and verse 21. The mother of Zebedee's children, and she prayed, "Quote, grant that these my two sons may sit, the one on thy right hand and the other on thy left hand, in thy kingdom." Well, that's a mother for you. What's wrong with that? Wow, I mean. That sounds like a great prayer, right? I mean, well, uh, no, not really. Not really. And if you think I misjudged her, I-, I want you to notice the Lord's response in verse number 22. Ye know not what ye ask. Lady, you don't even know what you're talking about. A- and uh, sometimes we don't either. Because we pray for things without even giving any consideration uh, as to our motives. There's no concern for God's glory. Uh, we, we could all pray, dear Lord, help us to double our attendance this year. By the end of the year, I pray, dear Lord, that we'll be running four or five hundred in Sunday school instead of what we are. That, that's going to be our prayer. Okay, the, the, the question is why? What difference does it make? Why? Why would that matter? Well, it would matter if God is glorified to a greater degree. That would really matter then. But if we pray for growth just to grow, I don't think God's too impressed with that. It's whenever we're praying that He'll be glorified, that He'll be magnified in all things, that His Word might be spread, that His, His people might be edified, that His, His ministry to the lost world might be increased. And when that's our motive, uh, we have a, have a right to believe we'll receive what we pray for. 
but it can be a big hindrance when, when we have unsatisfactory motives. Number five, unconcern. Mark 11, verse 24, What things soever ye desire, when ye pray, believe that ye shall receive them, and ye shall have them. Now, that's a great promise, right? But sometimes we overlook a very important part of that. Because although it speaks about the need for faith, and we're going to get to that in just a little bit, I want you to notice there's something else that demands our attention. Notice the word desire. Whatsoever things ye desire, that word is a, is a word in the Greek that is a very strong word. It means crave, beg. That's what it means, to beg, desire, or require. And, and you know, sometimes I'm afraid there's not much heart in our prayers, and by that, I mean that sometimes we pray out of a mere sense of duty, you know, and uh, and there's not a lot of concern about whether or not the prayer is really answered. After all, it's our responsibility to pray, you know. I mean, well, we can't be a good Christian if we don't pray, and so naturally we're going to pray. And we've been we've been around church long enough; we know what we're supposed to pray for, right? Oh, yeah, we're going to pray for the missionaries. We're going to pray for our leaders. We're going to pray for all of these things. And, yeah, you know, that's all right. And so we discharge our duty by by mentioning all of these things in prayer. But boy, I'll tell you, there's a big difference in doing that and begging and pleading and have this burning, aching desire in your heart that God will respond to your prayers. And, and, and a lot of times in... One of my favorite sermons, uh, yeah, I guess a preacher's entitled to have favorites of his own sermons, you know, but there's some things I just enjoy preaching. It was uh, one of them, it's been 10 years, I guess, since I preached it. It was the only time I've ever preached it, I think. It was uh, but the one word sermon, just the word O, oh, that was the text, O. Oh. Oh, and so many times the O is missing out of our religion. We've lost that O. You know, we've lost the emotion, the desire. And you go through the Bible and and think about what James said, the effectual, fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. The effectual, fervent prayer of a righteous man. So just mouthing the word, saying all of the right thing is not enough. There has to be concern, genuine concern on our part. Maybe a better way to say it, there needs to be a sense of desperation in our prayers. It's kind of like Rachel when she prayed to God. She said, give me children or else I die. Boy, I mean, you talk about sincere. I mean, that's it. Give me children or I die. Number six, and I've got to really hurry now, an unbelieving heart. And this gets to the other part of Mark eleven twenty four. Notice here in the other part it says, Believe that ye shall receive them, and ye shall have them. You see, faith is essential to an effective prayer life. And you already know that, and there's so many verses that relate to that. But unbelieving prayer can be a waste of time because God honors faith. And I, here's, here's what I want you to remember in, in this part. And that is that, that God is offended by our unbelief. 
He is offended. You know, if you and I are good, close friends, and you know me, and, and, and I tell you something, and you look me in the eye, and you say, you know, Brother Stone, I don't believe you. I don't trust you. That offends me. I mean, you, uh, you know me better than that. I mean, I'm, you know, I might do a lot of things, and I might be wrong in a lot of ways and make a lot of mistakes, but, uh, but whenever I tell you something, I, I'm not going to lie to you. I, I'm going to at least be honest with you. And, uh, you know, I, I want you to think of me in, in that way. Well, it offends God. And by the way, God has a million times more reason to be offended than I do, because He's perfect and I'm not. But whenever, you know, the Lord says, look, I, I want you to trust me, and then we refuse, it is offensive to God. And that's why the Bible says, for without faith it's what? It's impossible to please God. And so I'm, I'm going to stop there. There's so much more I could say about that, but I've got to stop and go on to number seven, an unwilling attitude. First John 3, verse 22, an unwilling attitude. And notice what John says, And whatsoever we ask, we receive of him. But again, again, the verse doesn't stop there. Notice, because we keep his commandments and do, and do those things that are pleasing in His sight. You know, if we're disobedient, we're out of fellowship with God, and that's going to hinder our prayers. And many times we want God to do something, but we're unwilling to do our part. Look, God's not obligated to do for us what we can do for ourselves. It's kind of like the old saying, you know, God feeds the sparrow, but it doesn't throw the worm in the nest. That's what I'm talking about. If we can do it, why why are we going to ask God to do it, you know? And if we're not willing to do our part, why should we ask God to do everything? Remember whenever Elisha told the three kings and uh, that if they wanted water to go out and what? And dig the ditches. And whenever they went out and they did their part and dug the ditches, what happened? God filled the ditches with water. Now, God could have given them water without them digging the ditches, but in digging the ditches, we see that they had a willing attitude, that they're willing to do what they can. It's sort of like, you know, somebody praying, Oh, dear God, save all of my children or my grandchildren or my neighbors. I want you to save my friends. I don't want any of them to die and go to hell. And, and then us never do our part and share the gospel with them. They can't be saved without the gospel. And they've got to hear the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ in order to be saved. And just sit back and pray, dear Lord, please save them. That's not good enough. We have to be willing to do as He commands if we're going to expect Him to answer our prayer. Now, number eight, number eight, an unforgiving spirit, Mark 11. So we're right back there. We was in verse 24 a while ago. In Mark 11, verse 25 and 26, And when you stand praying, forgive if you have aught against any, that your Father also which is in heaven may forgive you your trespasses. But if, if ye do not forgive, neither will your Father which is in heaven forgive your trespasses. Well, you know, think about it. Since we've received forgiveness from God... Don't you think we ought to be quick to extend that forgiveness to others? And, and unforgiveness is one of the most common, one of the most serious problems that we face. 
for, for one thing, folks, it's detrimental to our Christian testimony. I, I mean, how are we going to convince other people to become Christians? How are we going to convince them of God's forgiveness, you know, if we have bitterness in our heart toward them? And so if, if we're going to have a good testimony before others, we've got to be willing to forgive them. But not only that, not only does it destroy our testimony, it also hinders our prayers, as the Lord says right here. And so if you have bitterness in your heart, if you're nursing a grudge against someone, your prayers are going to be hindered. There's just no doubt about that. We don't have the right to do that. Uh, there's the story about the old plantation owner many uh, years ago, and one of the uh, one of the slaves there, the, the owner happened to catch him reading his Bible, and uh, he was he wasn't wasn't a saved man, so that he was highly displeased with that, and uh, he rebuked him, and he said, "Look, uh, you know, sun, Sunday's enough time for you to be reading the Bible. You don't need to be reading the Bible the rest of the week. You know, you belong to me." Da da da. Well, he locked the the the, the old uh, Negro slave in the in the shed. And locked him in the shed. Well, he went by out there in that hot shed, you know, about to suffocate. And so he goes by much, much later, and he hears something, and he listens in, and uh, and and he hear, hears the slave praying. And and, and all, all through the prayer, he's just praying that his master might discover Christ as his Savior, and he's not in any way whatsoever expressing any bitterness toward him. He's just praying that he'll discover the greatness of God's grace and so forth. And the longer the thought about it, and long story short, uh, it wasn't but just a, a short time after that, this plantation owner trusted Christ as his Savior as a result of the testimony of that slave locked in that shed out there. And folks, there's so many times that if we've got a bitter spirit towards someone, and you know, we always try to justify that, don't we? We, we? we say something like, well, you know, they had it coming. You know, they don't deserve to be forgiven. They made their bed, let them sleep in it. It's their problem. They were the one in the wrong. So what? That doesn't make any difference. Absolutely, they were in the wrong, or there probably wouldn't be a problem to start with. They were in the wrong. But i, I got to tell you, we were all in the wrong when the Lord forgave us. Amen? And we need to have that kind of an attitude toward other people. And maybe we think to ourselves, yeah, but I don't think that's a real problem in the churches, you know. Well, if we had time, we'd go to First Peter chapter 3, talking about the husbands and the wives, you know, in their... Uh, you know, and they're bickering amongst themselves. And we, we all know that every married couple has times whenever they're not in, 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 uh, in, in, in agreement. And we all tend to argue at times. But sometimes that carries over. And I'm telling, I'm telling you what, we pull up out here, you know, in the parking lot and we just had an argument, hardly even speaking to one another. And we come into the church and, you know, and then uh, the pastor says, you know, brother so and so, would you lead in prayer? He just chewed his wife out coming down the road and has a terrible attitude. Boy, you, he might as well forget it. I, I'm telling you. And, and that's what the Bible is warning us about. And, and he uses that phrase, use that phrase, that your prayers be not hindered. 
And, and, and remember, he's just told the wives what they ought to do toward their unsaved husbands, and he tells the husbands to dwell with them according to knowledge and so forth, and, and, and showing them the love of Christ and, and, and as the weaker vessel and so forth, that your prayers be not hindered. Our prayer can be hindered whenever we have these bitter feelings one toward another. Well, number nine, unconfessed sin. And uh, I, I don't think I need to even say any more than that. Remember, James said, the effectual fervent prayers of what? A righteous man. And, and you, you've all been Christians long enough. You know there are numerous verses pertaining to this that, that our, like Jeremiah, that your sins are withholding good things from you. Our sins rob us of God answering our prayers. But there's one other thing that I want to throw in here and as, as we end, and that is unwise prayers. God's refusal to grant our request is not always because we've done something wrong. Now, we've been talking about all of those things that we do wrong that would hinder our prayers, right? But sometimes God doesn't grant our request, and it's not because we've done something wrong it's because our prayer was something that was unwise. In other words, God has another reason. And, and if we knew all of the facts, we would thank God for unanswered prayer. And, and I was preaching about that before Garth Brook ever started singing about it, you know. But, uh, but that's a good thought, thanking God for unanswered prayers. There's so many times, you know, we pray and... And, and, and some people are very emphatic about it. Lord, you know, if you don't do this, you know, I, uh, I, I just, I, I just can't go on. You've just got to answer my prayer. And there are three things about this. Three reasons why we ought to thank God for unanswered prayer. Number one, because for one thing, it is a preventer of problems. A preventer of problems. God. God is all-wise. God knows that He cannot give us everything we want without ruining us. And, and, and would you can't give your kids everything they want without ruining them. It will, it, will, it will ruin them. I don't have time to read it, but the Houston, the police department, in fact, in Houston several years ago, uh, had, had a paper that they printed about how to raise a delinquent. And it listed 11 different things, and and uh, part of it pertained to that very thing, giving kids, you know, whatever they want. And you're going to end up with a delinquent giving them everything they want. Kind of like the old preacher used to say, you know, said, uh, he said, uh, uh, give, give, a, give a, uh, a pig and a kid everything they want, and you have a fat pig and a spoiled kid. And, and that's exactly right. It will ruin them. God knows in order to prevent certain problems in our life that He can't give us what we're asking for, and He loves us too much to do it. Then secondly, we can thank God for unanswered prayer because sometimes it's a test of faith. It's a test of faith. It's not that God's never going to answer the prayer. It's not that He's never going to give us what we want. But God is testing us and proving us. And we see that again and again in the Bible. And then the last thing would be we can thank God for unanswered prayer because it is a preparation for something better down the road. 
we're asking God for one thing, and it's like God saying, no, no. You, you think that's what you need. You think that's what you want. But if you'll just wait a little while, I've got something a whole lot better than that. And, and so if we'll keep that in mind, if we'll keep that in mind, it'll help us to pray effectively a whole lot better. So I hope that through all of this, this series that maybe... Uh, maybe something's been said that will uh, help each and every one of us to have a more effective prayer life. And Lord willing, next week we're going to start in on something brand new altogether.